0: Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised them that love him. How do you think of yourself? How should we think of ourselves? his message is, how should we think of ourselves? How do you think of yourself? How do you define yourself? Many people, unfortunately, will define themselves based on their economic status. But wealth and poverty are always relative. How we define poverty in America would be considered wealthy in many other countries around the world. Comparison, not definition. In our passage, James is not trying to define poverty and wealth. By placing them alongside each other, he has in mind believers who are in the same congregation, and he is writing about them in a comparative way. What he says has enduring applications since in almost every congregation there are a socio-economic mix. James does not intend to shame the poor brother by highlighting his poverty, nor is he condemning the wealthy for their wealth. But he is pointing to something they both have in common, and that is their faith in Jesus Christ, and how that faith and the living out of that faith can be affected or influenced by by their economic standing. There is nothing like abundance, and there is nothing like the lack of abundance to expose the true nature of a man, to expose the true nature of someone's heart. You give them lots of money they don't have it to start off with, and watch out what happens. Or you take a rich man and take all of his money away from him overnight, and watch what happens. There is nothing like abundance or the lack of abundance, to expose the true nature of a man. James is wanting us to think of ourselves not according to our economic circumstances, but by what we have become in Christ. The Christian life depends on knowing and remembering who we are. Our identity is defined by our relationship with Jesus Christ, and not by our possession, or lack thereof, of anything else. James is giving us some tests of true faith. True faith has joy even when it faces trials. We see that in James 1, 2-4. True faith seeks God for wisdom. We see that in James 1, 5-8. And here in James 1, 9-12, James shows us that true faith adopts God's eternal perspective regarding poverty and riches and how we ought to think of ourselves. To persevere in trials with joy Adopt God's eternal perspective on poverty and riches. There is a contrast here between the permanent and the perishable. Until we live in light of this distinctive, we will not handle trials or persecution very well. If we get caught up with the world's pursuit of wealth as the key to happiness, we will miss God's way of true blessedness, which centers on eternal riches that cannot be taken from us by any circumstance, including death. First, James speaks to the poor Christian in verse 9, and then to the rich in verses 10 to 11, and finally he offers hope to all who persevere under trials. We see that in verse 12. So first, some warnings. While the Bible shows us that wealth may be a sign of God's blessing, it also warns us about its dangers. The man who desires to get rich can fall into a spiritual trap. We see that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 9-10. to The rich man can be prone to arrogance and greed. We see that in Proverbs chapter 28 and then again in 15. They often do not see their need for God because they trust in their own money. Proverbs eleven twenty-eight. 28. Life seems good, they have no needs, so they ignore the obvious fact that that riches are of no value in the inevitable day of death. They have everything they want. All their needs are taken care of. They can rely on their wealth. They can rely on their job. They can rely on their income. They think they have it together. They have no need or think they have no need for God in their life. I got everything together. I'm covering everything. All my needs are met. I've got plenty of money in the bank. I'm all good. And they don't think of any care or concern about the inevitable day of death. They have no spiritual concern. They think so much of everything they have. I've got this, I've got that, it's all covered. I've got plenty of money in the bank. But having all that and being able to rely on that can turn some men to have no thought of spiritual at all. They think nothing of the inevitable day of death that's coming. Nothing of their spiritual state. They are spiritually poverty stricken, but they have temporary wealth here on earth, but they are eternally in poverty spiritually. The Bible also shows us that poverty can be a mixed bag. It may well be the result from ignoring God's will. Proverbs chapter thirteen verse eight and eighteen. It can destroy a man, Proverbs ten fifteen. It can destroy his relationships, Proverbs nineteen four and seven. And his independence, Proverbs twenty two, seven. It can tempt him to steal, Proverbs chapter thirty, seven to nine. But poor people often have integrity and humility, which the rich often lack. We see that in Proverbs chapter nineteen and Proverbs chapter twenty eight. Luke six twenty says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples, and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed Be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So poverty can be an advantage over wealth if it shows a person his need for God, who then pours out his spiritual blessings on that person as they call upon him. So being poor or being disadvantaged can be a spiritual asset because it will force that person, or it can force that person, to rely solely on God, moment by moment, day by day, to meet all their needs because they have no other option but to rely on God. That can force a man into a situation where it will grow him spiritually. Where it will grow his his reliance on God. It will grow his faith on God because he has no other option to but to have faith in God. To meet those everyday needs, day to day, hour to hour sometimes. How is this going to work out? Oh Lord, I need this. I have this need. I need this Lord. And they pray. They exercise that faith. And then they see the Lord starting to answer those prayers. So having that disadvantage monetarily can be a great advantage spiritually. So our first point, poor but rich. James 1, nine. let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. Having that poor material state, that low degree materially, can be an exaltation spiritually. You may say, I'm just a poor individual. I don't have very much. I don't have, I don't have any wealth. But if you are a child of God, you have a lot of wealth. You have treasure in heaven. We really have everything in him if we are a child of God. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and ye are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Therefore let no man glory, man, for all things are yours. All are yours, and ye are Christ's. James directs the brother of low degree to rejoice in that he is exalted, which refers to his spiritual wealth in Christ. When a poor man trusts in Christ as Savior and Lord, he instantly becomes the heir of a vast fortune. He is a child of the King of Kings with access to all of the King's resources. Paul pictures the believer as seated with Christ in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2.6. Paul repeatedly refers to the believer as being in Christ, which means that everything that is true of Christ is true of us. He tells the Corinthians, Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or present things or things that come, all are yours, like we just read. All are yours. He tells us in Romans eight seventeen that if we are children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. So let the brother of low degree, let that disadvantaged brother rejoice because he is greatly advantaged spiritually. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. So what does it mean to rejoice in that he is exalted? The Apostle Paul uses this word often, sometimes negatively, but sometimes positively. Negatively, we are not to boast at anything in ourselves. The Corinthians were boasting wrongfully in themselves, and Paul rebukes them, asking in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? As if thou hadst not received it. He's saying, everything you got is because God has given it to you. So why are you boasting about it? Because if God hadn't given it to you, you wouldn't have had it to boast about it anyway. Every blessing you have is from God. So don't boast in in of yourself, like I've got this for myself, but rejoice and glorify God. For that blessing, if all that we have is because of God's unmerited favor, then why do we exalt ourselves as if our supposed superior superiority came from ourselves? Christ did not die for you or me because we are worthy. Quite the opposite. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5:8. But positively, we may boast or glory in the Lord. To bring glory to him. Our salvation is totally from God. And we should glory and boast about that in the Lord. Glory in the state of low degree. James did not pity his poor brethren or encourage them to to commiseration. Rather, he saw them as spiritually advantaged. The brethren of low degree were spiritually advantaged. James tells the poor believer to glory in these precious truths. Skeptics who have no concept of the reality of spiritual truth, would no doubt mock James. They'd mock James' advice at this point. What good is it to tell a poor man the glory and his spiritual riches in Christ? He's still living in the shack, he still wears old clothes, he still eats tiny meals, his children are still barefoot, they still get no medical care. What good are these spiritual riches to this man? But that view stems from a materialistic mindset and ignores the fact that basic need of every human heart is spiritual, not material. James will go on to say that true faith will supply a poor brother with the basic necessities of life. The Bible calls us to believe that our spiritual riches in Christ are reality. Material riches are just a vapor that evaporates before our eyes. They're temporary. They're just a vapor. They're gone just like that. But spiritual riches are the reality we should be focusing on because they're eternal riches. We can build up those spiritual riches and they will last us for all eternity. Or you can work hard at building up temporary riches that will fade away and do you no good on the day of your death. Or spiritual riches will do you great good on the day of your death. So how can we glory in our state of low degree? How can we glory in our state of low degree? Number one, We can glory in the fact that God has opened our eyes to see the vanity of worldly wealth and status. To live, to accumulate the world's junk, and to strive after the world's acclaim is futile. We read about that in the book of Ecclesiastes. All is vanity. Vanity of vanities. Living for the here and now. Living for this life. Living for accumulating stuff in this life is vanity, vanity of vanity, Solomon tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes. So how can we glory in our state of low degree? We can glory in the fact that God has opened our eyes to see the vanity of the world's wealth and its statuses. And number two, we can glory in the fact that God has shown us the essence of true happiness and honor. True happiness is to know God. True honor is to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercises lovingkindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight, saith the Lord. Jeremiah 9, 23-24 But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord. Glory in the Lord. Glory in the Lord. And number three, we can glory in the fact that we now have an eternal inheritance that will never be taken away. Psalm 49 mocks the rich man who congratulates himself, naming his lands after himself, and thinks that his fame will endure forever. It says bluntly in Psalm 49, verse 12, Nevertheless, man being in honor abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. But believers, the Bible tells us believers have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away and is reserved in heaven for you. 1 Peter 1, 4. Then as John Newton put it, solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. Solid joys, eternal joys, lasting treasure, spiritual treasure, Spiritual, eternal blessings, solid joys, and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. Now let's look at the rich but poor. Point number two, rich but poor. James 1, 10 to 11. But the rich, that he is made low, because as a flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. The Bible regards wealth properly acquired as a blessing from God. Yet the dangers it introduces into our relationship with God are such that the biblical teaching on it is largely cautionary. Moses warned us that wealth would bring the temptation to forget God. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Jesus warned his disciples that life does not consist in the abundance of things. We see that in Luke chapter twelve fifteen. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught that material concerns can easily crown our spiritual matters. We see that in Matthew chapter 6. Some of the Lord's most memorable parables involve the dangers of wealth. We see that in Mark chapter 4 and also in Luke chapter 16. The admonition that it will be hard for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God still stands. Mark 10, 23. Make it personal because it is. Make it personal because it is. Most of us think this applies to Donald Trump. This applies to Bill Gates. applies to Jeff Bezos. Those type of guys. But by the world's standards, think about this. By the world's standards, most of us qualify as rich. Many of us own our own homes. We have computers. We have TVs. We have cell phones. We have all kinds of other gadgets to make life more comfortable. Most families own one car. All of us have multiple clothes in our closets. That we can decide what we're going to wear that day. Much of the rest of the world, however, lives in crowded shacks. With no indoor plumbing, no electricity, and no clothes except what's on their back. All of us are rich compared to parts of the rest of the world. So we also need to apply verses 10 to 11 to ourselves. It's not just what we consider rich. Those, apply, those verses apply to all of us as well. Now temptation, temptation. The rich man can be tempted to glory in his wealth, in the status and power that come from financial success. Mark Twain once wrote, The offspring of riches is pride, vanity, ostentation, arrogance, tyranny. James tells us to glory rather in our humility as a believer. Wealth does not put someone on a higher spiritual plane than a poor believer. Wealth pertains only to this fleeting life. It's a vapor, it's temporary. Man and his money will soon fade away. But only but all that matters for eternity will stay. That will be all that's left. The spiritual treasures we've laid up, the spiritual growth we've we've had occur in our life because of the trials because of the poor economic situations we've been in how God has used that to develop our character develop our spiritual strength to help us to, to to reap spiritual treasures that are laid up in heaven that we can cast at Jesus feet one day that's what matters as someone has said when the game is over the king and the pawn go back into the same box think about that when the game is over the king and the pawn go back into the same box. The rich man's mansions, property, holdings, his stock portfolio will mean nothing when he is in the grave. So the rich man must not follow the world by glorying in his riches. Riches confer no status in God's kingdom. Neither do they count in the face of death, judgment, and eternity. We should not regard our trials as evidence that we are not his children we should not regard our trials as evidence that we are not his children, but rather proof positive that we are. Proof positive of our faith. If we are not having a little trouble, then we should be a little concerned about our eternity. But if we are having trouble, that is a good sign that we belong to him. If we are having issues, we are having trials, we are having things we're struggling with, God uses those to develop us spiritually to bring us closer to him. He also uses those to test us. To see where we're at spiritually. To see if we need, need more development in that area. If we're not seeing any of those, you need to, to question your eternal status. Much has been written about the purpose of God's testing. William Penn, the founder of Pennsylvania, made this little profound statement about it. No pain, no balm, no thorn, no throne, no gall, no glory, no cross. No crown. Let me read that again. No pain. No balm. No thorn. No throne. No gall. No glory. No cross. No crown. So now let's look to the future. Let's look to the future. James 1.12 Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them That love him. Verse 12 returns us to the topic of trial that was introduced at the beginning of the letter in James 1 2 4. And closes off this section. Blessing is promised to all who persevere under trial. Blessed is the man, speaks of God's disposition towards us rather than our mental or emotional state. Poverty and riches are tests of faith. Greed is not the exclusive temptation of the rich. The poor man can be just as greedy and materialistic as the wealthy man. The poor often covet what the rich already have. But if the focus of both groups is on getting more, and getting more, and getting more money, getting more possessions, as their way to true happiness, they do not have God's perspective. They do not have the spiritual eternal perspective that we, are, that we should have. Both rich and poor alike are also prone to pride. The poor Christian becomes so proud over how poor he is, and how poor he is for the kingdom's sake, and so he just starts boasting and being that he is so spiritually rich because I've sacrificed so much and I have nothing, I have all this spiritual wealth. Woe is me. That's a that's a form of pride. The rich man can be proud over how God has blessed them and give them such influence, and he can start. Boasting like Paul said about what he's been giving. But Paul says it's been given to you, you have no right to boast about it. So both can be susceptible to pride. Both need to develop the humility that comes from bowing before God's grace. Life on earth is transitory and temporary for all of us. A mayfly has its lifetime in one day. What obvious folly if it were to spend that entire day weighing itself down. With supposed treasures. That Mayfly worked all day so he can get this one thing. Works really hard the rest of the day so he can get another thing. Keeps working hard so he can get another thing. Juggles all these things. Works so hard. And then he dies at the end of the day. What purpose was that? What purpose is that? At sundown, everything's gone. It's gone. And he wasted his life trying to accumulate things. He wasted his life trying to get more and more and more. He wasted his life saying, I wish I could have that. I wish I could have this. I'm going to work harder so I get this and this and this. While life passed him by. He didn't get to enjoy life. He didn't get to enjoy anything about life. Because he's always wanting more. Wanting more. Wanting more. Wanting more. Got to accumulate more. Got to get more. Then all of a sudden it's sundown. Life's over. It's done. What does that mayfly have to show for his life? Likewise, how foolish for us mortals, to glory in our riches, to want more and more and more, especially when there is an eternity beyond. John Wesley, perhaps thinking of the mayfly, wrote this, I am a creature of a day, passing through life as an arrow through the air. I am a spirit, coming from God and returning to God, just hovering over the great gulf. A few months hence I am no more seen. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. Eternal perspective. Are we working hard for this, working hard for that? Or do we have an eternal perspective? Cherishing the moments. Cherishing the moments. Appreciating how God develops our character and allows us to develop and get spiritual blessings. Are we doing that? Or are we trying to just accumulate and live for the moment? Or are we living for eternity? Are we wasting our moments trying to accumulate wealth or are we living for eternity and using our moments for eternity? The way of true blessing is not to exempt is not to be exempt from trials but to persevere under them. James does not say blessed is the man who never goes through trials. Nor does he say blessed is the rich man. Rather, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Blessed is the man that goes through trials. Blessed is the man that has troubles in his life. Blessed is the man that has financial difficulties. Blessed is the man that has health difficulties. Blessed is the man that endureth temptations, that has difficulties, that has trials. Blessed is that man. Testing has a way of leveling the playing field. It helps all of us to get our focus on the right things, namely eternal things it's the only, it's only when we believe in Christ and adopt God's eternal perspective that we can persevere under trials with the joy of salvation here is wisdom for Christians of every age all of whom live in a world which equates prosperity with happiness and God's blessings and humble circumstances with misery and God's displeasure the lowly who are in the midst of hard times are tempted to doubt no Christian who has been oppressed either economically or socially, or both, has not at some time doubted. A living faith has its ups and downs because it is the faith of a living being who is imperfect and in process. Perseverance is not perfection under trial, but faithfulness in the trial. Perseverance is not perfection under the trial, but faithfulness in the trial. The crown of life is God's reward for those that persevere and remain faithful under trials. The man who perseveres under trials is blessed in this life, but James' emphasis is on the rewards of heaven. The picture here is of the believer struggling and striving in the contest, but the reward of the crown awaits him at the end if he perseveres. When faith is tested and surrounded by darkness, when the waves are rolling high and all seems lost, The child of God knows that this is not the end. It may be gloom now, but it will be glory later on. As the psalmist said, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. James here says, He shall receive the crown of life. He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. If our goal in life is to come as wealthy and comfortable as we can for our three score and ten, and the promise of a crown of life will hold little, uh, little attraction to us. But if we understand that our future is bound up with the service and worship of God in eternity, and if we want to live now in such a way as to hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, then the crown of life will be precious to us. We need to ask, in the context of a society in which For many, the only goal is to work hard for a comfortable retirement. What are our ambitions? What are our ambitions? How do our goals affect the way we face trials? Are we those whose values and conduct are shaped by eternity? Do our goals, do our desires, do our wants line up with eternity? Or are they focused on ourselves? Is our our life goals, how we're living our life, the trajectory of our life, does that line up with eternal goals in mind? Or does that line up with those temporary earthly goals in mind? Are we living for eternity? Are we living for the moment? Are we living for ourselves? Are we living for Christ? What are you living for? How do your goals, how does your life's path, how does the life you're leading line up to eternal values, to the eternal perspective? To reaching for that crown of life. How does it line up to that? Or is it just about today? About living for the moment? Living for riches? How do your goals, how does your life trajectory line up? Great reward is promised to those who endure trials. There is a certain promise. He shall receive. And also a glorious one. The crown of life. A crown symbolizes both status and reward. A person who wore a crown was someone of rank and dignity. This future position of high honor bestowed by God is in contrast to the present lowliness. A crown signifies reward. An athlete might achieve a fading wreath in the arena victorious, 1 Corinthians 9.25, but the reward is promised to them that love him. The crown of life is not given to a spiritual elite, but to everyone who truly loves God. J. Vernon McGee had this thought regarding the crown of life. There are a lot of folk who have gone through the world without doing anything for God. I thank God there was one thief on the cross who turned the Christ. But I cannot imagine that he will get very much of a reward, especially when I compare him to a man like Paul. Paul the Apostle. Imagine what it is going to be like someday when Paul receives the crown of life when Paul receives his crown of life. Imagine what's going to be one day. I got chills down my back when I first read this and thought of that moment. Wow. I imagine all of heaven in a hush. And Paul is still as humble as he can be kneeling at the foot of Jesus. All of us are getting our crowns. All of us are getting our rewards. Then all of a sudden, it's the Apostle Paul's turn to get his rewards. I kind of imagine just heaven getting hushed, silenced. Because all he's done for Christ, all those that are in heaven as a result of him, they're probably all looking on to Paul, praising, thinking that Paul did what he did for them, what he did for Christ. And I can imagine it may take some time to get all of his crowns ready because he's going to have so many, so many rewards to give to him. But when he gets that crown of life, all of heaven hushed, and Paul stills still as humble as he can be kneeling at the foot of Jesus, our Savior. And then when Jesus gives him that crown or hands him that crown, I can just see Paul immediately wanting to cast it back at our Savior's feet, thinking himself still so unworthy of such an honor. But can you imagine that moment? When we're witnessing, we're in heaven witnessing the Apostle Paul getting his crown of life. That's just an amazing thought to contemplate. The strength to persevere under trials comes from love for Christ. You might expect James to say the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who persevere or the crown of life to those that have, have obeyed or to those who believe in him. But rather, he says, to them that love him. Why does he say this? Love is the key. If you truly love Christ like you should, everything else will line up in your life like it should. If you truly love Christ like you should, you're going to be that testimony for him like you should. You're going to live your life for him like you should. You are going to persevere under trials like you should. You're going to witness for him like you should. Love of Christ is the key. I think it is because love for Christ keeps us from loving the world. Love for Christ motivates us to persevere under trials. Note that the love for Christ does not exempt us from trials. Rather, it gives us the strength to persevere under the trials. Love for Christ is the inevitable result of of belief in him if you don't love him you don't know him 1 John 4:8. when Jesus restored Peter after his denials he asked him three times Simon son of Jonas lovest thou me? Simon son of Jonas lovest thou me? Simon son of Jonas lovest thou me? love of Christ is the key why? because love for Jesus Christ is the necessary motivation to serve him especially when serving him causes hardship and persecution. If you're struggling with the perseverance in trials, examine the quality of your love for Christ. The famous evangelist George Whitfield once told of seeing some criminals riding in a cart on their way to the gallows. When I read this illustration, I was just blown away. He said they were arguing about who should sit on the right hand of the cart. They were going to face death, certain death, very soon. And what's their biggest concern? They're arguing about who gets to sit on the right side of the cart. With no more concern than children arguing about who sits who sits where in a car in our day. Even as though they should soon be facing eternity, they're arguing about where they should sit. They did not have a proper perspective. They did not have a godly perspective on eternity. Whitfield said he marveled at this. Hero men about ready to die that very day, moments from death, arguing over who got the best seat. James would have us to see that life is a vapor. We're all going to die soon. To focus on accumulating wealth if we lack it, or to expend ourselves in amassing more wealth than we already have, would be rather short-sighted. Rather, we should focus on the crown of life, that the Lord has promised to those who love him, and that eternal focus will enable us to persevere in trials with joy. How are you thinking of yourself? Are you thinking of yourself with eternity in mind? Are you thinking of yourself with that crown of life in mind? How do you think of yourself? Do you have the proper eternal perspective on how you think of yourself? Think of yourself with the crown of life in mind. Think of yourself with the love of Christ in mind. Think of yourself when trials and and tribulations come away, they're there to develop you spiritually and draw you closer to Christ. Have joy in those trials. Let the brotherhood of degree rejoice. Rejoice. God is working on you. God is bringing you t- towards him. God is building that spiritual integrity in your life. You're reaping, heaping up spiritual rewards in heaven. How do you think of yourself? Think of yourself in light of eternity. Think of yourself in light of that crown of life. Think of yourself in light of your love for Christ.